the mother of all talk shows. The only education you can get for free. Only on Sputnik Radio. Now, as I said earlier, almost 200,000 people have watched last week's show. We expect that to grow this week. We also believe that at least as many people are listening as are watching. But we're still quite a way short of the one million global audience that I'm looking for. So spread the word, won't you? And if you're watching us on Facebook, please share with all of your friends. Now, Patrick Henningsen is one of my most favorite American journalists, broadcasters and analysts. He's almost always right about the events that we are discussing. His outfit is called 21st Century Wire. I hope you're already following it and supporting it in every way, as Patrick is amongst those that it's most important to hear from on all things Americana. And I'm glad to say he joins me now. Patrick, welcome back uh, to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Let's start with Donald Trump and Syria. Because although the Ukraine gate looked to be opening its jaws ready to uh, bite him, we'll come back to that, it's his decision to do what he said he would do in the course of the election campaign and get America out of endless foreign wars in the Middle East that has got the establishment, the liberals, the media all on his tail now. What's it all about? Well, you have to look back at uh, previous administrations to find out where to start looking on this problem. And there's an extraordinary continuity of foreign policy that goes from administration to administration. And Donald Trump, with his latest move, is threatening to upend the Syria project slightly, but not completely. And if you look back at John McCain, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, they helped to build the Free Syrian Army. They helped to build the Syrian opposition to to militarize them, to send them weapons and support. And uh, right now, that, that job is now uh, changed. So. Those soldiers have been uh, in Turkey for a number of years, have been given safe haven in Turkey over the border. So they're now working for Turkey. So uh, Erdogan has invaded. He's even uh, given a lot of them Turkish citizenship, by the way. He has. So that's the vanguard. That's the front line of the Turkish forces. Uh, And they've been rebranded from the FSA, the Free Syrian Army, to the Syrian National Army by the, quote, interim government uh, of the Syrian Liberation Movement uh, based in Turkey now. So that that was important that uh, the U.S. armed them to ho- hopefully to uh, upend the regime or the government in Damascus. And at the same time, the U.S. was backing the Syrian Democratic Forces. Uh, That's the Kurdish. Kurdish-led, but not completely Kurdish, about 40% Arab militias, but the led by what, what you would call the YPG or PKK uh, militants. And Which both America and Turkey consider to be terrorist organizations. Officially, yes. Officially, yes. So, so this is uh, the U.S. has partnered with them. The reason they partnered with them, and this is back to the Syria project, because if you look at the oil fields 
for instance, not just the Kurdish independent state, which the U.S. is constantly promising, uh, the British and the Americans have promised the the, the Kurdish uh, various uh, Kurdish factions, whether they be Iraqi Kurdistan, which is which is very different than the Kurds in Syria. Mm. Uh, the, the Kurdish militants in Syria are definitely following Abdullah Öcalan, uh, very much the, the more leftist, red stars, red flags, and so on. Yeah, a communitarian, a libertarian, stroke Marxist, uh, whereas the Barzani Kurdish uh, uh, factions or community is more tribal-based. Tribal, conservative. Patriarchal. Uh, the, the women in the YPG, for example, play a leading role in the fighting. Yes. And so on. So uh, they have a leftist profile, but they were working with the U.S. Uh, state uh, project, Syria project, go figure. Uh, they thought that the U.S. would look after them, and they haven't. Surprise, surprise. So who was occupying the oil fields in Syria in 2014? ISIS was. Mm. ISIS was eventually moved out or you know, pushed out to the fringes of that part of Syria. Then the SDF, with U.S. backing, occupied Syria's own oil fields and gas fields. So think about that. They're under sanctions. They're under embargo. Plus, their own energy supply is being squatted by at first ISIS, then handed over to the U.S.-backed SDF. And so Syria then is being strangled economically, cannot get fuel, has to buy fuel on the black market, even from Raqqa uh, coming on tankers to refineries or having to somehow get it to their ports on the Mediterranean, as we saw with the Iranians. As we saw when the tanker was seized in Gibraltar. So this is, this is the plan, is to continue to strangle Syria, to create maximum economic pressure, to keep it weak for a possible another uprising in a few years. Well, that explains why the SDF doesn't uh, turn to Damascus and say, we are, after all, Syrians. Uh, you are our government. Uh, please bring the actual Syrian army uh, here and join with us in repelling this Turkish invasion. Although Erdogan says if you call it an invasion, he's going to unleash three million refugees on the European Union. This is kind of gangster talk, actually. If you, if you oppose what I'm doing, I'm going to use three million human beings as pawns, open the gates and send them into Europe. Mm -hmm. Some ally, some NATO ally, this. Well, now the, the, the Syrian refugee bargaining chip that Erdogan used to extort money from the European Union. Yeah, he's already been paid for them. Quite a lot. <laughs> so he's now wanting to resettle them in what's called a safe zone, which is a strip of land across uh, the border between Syria and Turkey. But it's not, it's nothing like a safe zone. This is about changing the demographics, uh, basically ethnic cleansing the Kurdish residents there. Forget about the militants or the SDF residents, ethnically cleansing them, moving them out, changing the demographic, which goes in line with the, uh, the, the, the Erdogan's party, the AKP are in a process of uh, rolling back the Kemalist secular shape of the Turkish state in a, in a kind of a Sunnification uh, campaign. And they're wanting to extend that into northern Syria. That's going to change uh, the demographics. They're basically annexing the most profitable part of Syria. They're, they're doing so for, so for security reasons, supposedly, uh, to eliminate the Kurdish, potential Kurdish terrorist threat. Uh, but there are, this also is not uh, something that the U.S. is completely um, upset about. This is playing slightly into the role of the U.S. by militarizing the Syrian opposition, keeping it alive, creating a kind of a, a bulkhead across the border there, keeping Aleppo under threat, 
they could possibly join up the FSA, now the Syrian National Army, uh, with Turkish help, join up with al-Qaeda factions in Idlib eventually. And so just keep this war going longer, keep the instability going longer, keep Damascus from reclaiming every inch of its territory, which it said it was going to do. It's determined to do. Let's take a call from Alex in Manchester on that subject. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, George. Welcome. Go ahead. What would you like to say? Uh, I just want to point out maybe taking someone into Syria to fighters like from uh, from the Kurds, which have been in prison for a while. Yeah, uh, they already ha they say they've. America said it took some of these ISIS terror ISIS terrorists out. Turkey uh, says that some of them are now under its control. And the Kurds say that a significant number of them have now broken free from prison and are, uh, are running, uh, running wild, running free anyway. Well, if somebody commits a crime in a country, um, they're usually held in prison in that country. So they like, give those people back to the Syrian government to imprison them or whatever, whatever depending on the crime they've done. Um, you know, so... In fact, instead of the Kurds holding on to these prisoners as some sort of bargaining tools, they should give them to the Syrians to um, yeah. try them. Yeah, of course. Alex, thanks uh, for that call. Um, this is a point, isn't it, Patrick? They were holding on to these ISIS prisoners as a bargaining chip. Now some of those chips have broken free. Some have been sent into Iraq, reportedly, into American custody. Uh, Trump's position is... He wants countries like Britain, Belgium, Holland, France, and so on to take their own nationals back, the ISIS terrorists who left our countries and went there, uh, take them back and try them uh, for crimes. That's a very controversial thing here uh, because, of course, there's no death penalty here. Uh, and people who are guilty of literally sawing off the heads on camera of British journalists and NGO workers and so on, uh, coming back here for a trial, it doesn't appeal to uh, many people. Uh, but, you know, I take the view, this is not the view of RT, I should say, uh, but I take the view that Erdogan and Turkey played a very significant role in the development of this ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Islamist fanatic front. So how could you trust Turkey to keep these people under lock and key. Well, they might, as Alex seemed to be inferring, actually then put them back in the field. Well, this is, this is what's happened with a lot of the FSA fighters. The, you have ISIS among those ranks. You have Al-Qaeda among those ranks. They're not clearly, uh, they're not all political uh, opposition or the secular opposition, this mythical so moderate yeah. rebel. I never met one yet. They're, they're, yeah. they're very extremist. Never met a moderate rebel from Syria. <laughs> and uh, very jihadist in sort of their outlook uh, in their, and also in their opposition to Damascus. So the, the, the issue of this is, the Kurdish have been using this as a bargaining chip to extort U.S. support. Uh, and now they're blaming it on Turkish artillery. Uh, strikes, saying that, oh, we don't have the manpower to look after these prisoners. But this also plays into Washington's hands, because if, if ISIS is now running amok again uh, in the region, it's only then Trump or Lindsey Graham or someone can turn to uh, the U.S. political body and say, oh, the ISIS problem has not been resolved. We need to redeploy. And don't, don't think that that's not a possibility. The U.S. could very much uh, redeploy. Trump has held 
pretty firm so far, but I mean, that could change, couldn't it, depending on his other problems? They haven't actually withdrawn all of their uh, special forces from northeastern Syria, despite the announcement. So they've still maintained a foothold there. The, I think the, uh, the, if the Kurdish forces are driven south, that will play into the U.S. agenda, which is to secure, keep the oil fields out of Syrian hands and sort of delay this uh, inevitable negotiation that has to happen between Kurdish forces and Damascus and Moscow. This Eventually this is going to happen, uh, hopefully, unless the U.S.'s plan is just to continue uh, instability in that part of the region. ISIS is now appearing uh, in places like Homs. Uh, there are militants, Al-Qaeda militants in Hasekah. So to keep Syria, Russia, its allies out of that area, because a lot of people believe they could clean that area up very quickly, restore order very quickly, and Erdogan would not fire upon a Syrian Arab army uh, battalion or any soldiers. That's no, not uh, he, he wouldn't. And in fact, he said today that uh, he's ready to talk to uh, President Assad, with whom he's been at war basically all these years now. They, before the war, by the way, they had quite good relations, and it was Turkey's avowed foreign policy to have no quarrels with its neighbors, which be- became uh, war with all its neighbors, near war in Iraq, actual war in Syria. Let's take another call from Jared in Pennsylvania. Jared, welcome. Uh, hello, George, and hello, Patrick. Welcome. I want to talk a little bit about this um Syria situation, because this is um, very complicated. Probably most of your callers and everybody else doesn't really know what's going on. But uh, let me go into some detail. Um, we defeated ISIS when, um, with the help of the Iraqi army, along with uh, the Kurdish forces in both Iraq and Syria. I think the Syrian army and the Russian army and the Iranian irregulars and Hezbollah had quite a hand in that too, you know, Jared. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I I missed, I forgot those. Uh, Yes, they played the most biggest part was uh, the Syrian army in conjunction with Russia and Iran who helped push um, ISIS out of um, Syrian-controlled territories. I was talking more about Iraq. But um, anyway, we defeated... ISIS, but um, uh, there was still ISIS that existed. There was a protectorate that Turkey had in northern, north um, western Syria of an occupation that the Turks had, which was called the so-called Free Syrian Army, which is just a rebranding of ISIS. And then you have Al-Qaeda in Idlib running an Islamic principality almost, where um, they are um, uh, uh, engaging in just massive uh, torture, killings, beheadings, and everything else. Now, um, with the situation with the Kurds, um, my position has been very clear. The U.S. should not have went over there. However, This does not necessarily mean I support Erdogan coming in and occupying Syrian territory, which is a form of imperialism on the basis of the Turks. So uh, the the Kurds, while I do support them being reintegrated into Syria 
they should be granted an autonomous territory that, at least based off what I've seen, that Rojava, or whatever it, I believe it's called, is an autonomous republic, so to speak, within Turkey, I mean Syria, and they have not claimed that they want to split off from uh, Damascus. Okay, Jared, uh, I think we've got that. Uh, Patrick, uh, there are many problems with the uh, rather schematic uh, thesis uh, of Jared. Uh, the first, first of all, uh, northeast Syria is not exclusively Kurdish. Uh, it's not called Rojava, uh, and it cannot be an autonomous Kurdish area without the minorities, Arab minorities, Druze and others, who are living there, having their rights uh, protected. Um, before this all started, the Kurdish people had good relations with Damascus, uh, and why won't they repair those relations? I mean, it seems like screamingly obvious to me. If the SDF now said to the government in Damascus, please send the Syrian army here and help us defend Syria against this Turkish incursion, as you said, that would solve the problem because Erdogan isn't going to fight Syria because if he fights Syria, he's also got to fight Russia and he ain't going to do that. So what's stopping them from taking this step? They were, that step was being taken in 2013, but the emergence of ISIS taking large portion territory in northeastern Syria, that delayed or changed the whole game plan. Syria then, uh, Damascus had pretty much pulled out completely of that area, aside from a few uh, specks on the map. But so then the U.S. moved in to partner with the Kurds. And again... Uh, so the Kurds trusted the U.S. Because they're waving that carrot of an independent state. They're giving them cash, they're giving them status, they're giving them uh, guns and a seat at a what they believe is a higher table. And the U.S. have come in and done infrastructure projects in that part of the uh, country and build bases and airstrips and highway resurfacing and things like that. So in their eyes, the things were improving with the help of the U.S. But this is only a short-term deal. And when you go into business with America, you gotta be ready to cash your chips out before the U.S. does. Mm. And now the U.S., you can see, is temporarily cashing its chips and leaving Cur the Kurds uh, holding the can. This has been were. happening for uh, the best part of a century. You know, the Kurds have been put on the shelf, taken off, put back, and so on, over and uh, over and over again. I've got to take a quick break. Let's uh, resume this discussion right after this. The mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. The world is our classroom. And you're welcome to sit in and join the seminar. You're watching the mother of all talk shows, and I'm talking with Patrick Henningsen of 21st Century Wire about Syria, about the Kurds, about President Trump. Uh, just finally, although we may have uh, one more call uh, I'd like you to hear, Patrick. Um, the domestic backlash against Trump's decision looks from here at least, in media terms, inside the bubble, to be very considerable. Uh, is that playing out in Peoria? I mean, what do the voters think about Donald Trump, as it were, ending one of the interminable Middle East wars? Well, the talking point is, if you watch CNN and you watch Fox, that Trump has betrayed this great U.S. ally uh, by, by pulling out of Syria and left them basically exposed to an invading Turkish 
force. And this is the culmination, in my opinion, of years of propaganda, this, uh, this concept of, quote, the Kurds. In America, they have no idea what the Kurds are. They don't know the difference between the YPG or the PKK or the, uh, the Barzani, Barzani or, uh, Norbil yeah. versus uh, yeah. ha, uh, Menbij. They don't know the difference between that. It's just a term. Lindsey Graham, John McCain and others will sort of seize upon that. The networks will seize upon Pat that. Pat Robinson was calling them Christians. <laughs> when in fact they're all Sunni Muslims, and, and we're abandoning the Christians in Syria. And they're not. In fact, it was your U.S. allies in these jihadist fronts that were massacring the Christians with Lindsey Graham's support. This is true. An Amnesty International report in 2015 uh, condemned the Kurdish militants for raising villages, burning houses, kidnapping, extortion, forcing children into soldier positions, male and female. So they're not the saintly, uh, the militants I'm talking about, the, 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 the YPGs, uh, they're not the saintly uh, revolutionaries that uh, they're often painted on uh, as in the U.S. media. Mm. So the reality is something much different. Here's Sam in New York with a point of view. Sam, go ahead. Hey, George. Good to be back on the air with you. Welcome. Uh, I just want to point out that, uh, yeah, no, that's the point. He corrected you with talking about the fact that... I'm sorry, Sam, this is a bad line. Uh, we'll, get you, we'll get you back uh, on the line. Meanwhile, let's hear from Derek in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Derek. Hey, George. Um, I, I'm just wondering, how can the U.S. get out of this area, Syria included, um, is there a multilateral approach, like going through the UK or the UN? Excuse me. Mm. Um, is there a different? Is there a way to get us out of there while still well, uh, keeping uh, the Kurds Patrick, safe? Uh, Patrick will give you uh, his view, but here's mine, and again, it's my own personal one. Uh, the um, territorial integrity of Syria is an absolute totem for me, and ought to be uh, for the UN. Nobody has a right to be in Syria except if invited by the legitimate government of Syria, the recognized, sovereign, legitimate government of Syria. So the United States should never have been there and therefore cannot place conditions upon its departure. It can't say we're going to stop breaking international law, but only if this, this, this and this happens. The last thing we need is another foreign legion uh, or a multilateral approach, as you put it, arriving in Syria. Syria is Syria is Syria. And the only people with a legitimate reason to be there are the Syrian government's forces and its allies that the Syrian government has invited in. What's your point on that, Patrick? You just have to go back to the Pentagon document in 2012 that America was well aware uh, that uh, ISIS could emerge, the Islamic State, and form an Islamic principality. But they looked at that in favorable terms, that this would be a way to break up what they thought was a, a Shiite uh, crescent stretching from uh, from the Levant, from Lebanon, all the way to Iran. They also looked at a possible Kurdish state as being something that would achieve uh, to break that up, break up that expansion of Shiism, as, as Washington uh, refers to it. And this is something that Israel would would naturally uh, want to break up as well. Hence, uh, the Israeli support of uh, Kurdish 
uh, a Kurdish autonomous state. They absolutely want that. Um, so there's there's that issue. And well, Israel wants to balkanize the area into ethnic states because that's a justification for its own ethnic state. That's right. And they would like to see the Middle East composed not of 23 countries, but hundreds of emirates and principalities, Druze emirates, Sunni, Shia, they'd like a jigsaw uh, puzzle, wouldn't they? The, the, the great uh, Russian revolutionary and anarchist, uh, Mikhail um, Bakunin, he said, beware of the small states. And David Hurst wrote a book uh, with that title, uh, uh, great title. ten years great ago. Great title, great, great writer. So it was referring to Lebanon, but it could very easily be referring to yeah. all of these other states yeah, exactly. that we see appearing. But my last thing I'll say is, how do you solve this problem? Your, mm. your caller uh, answered. If you're really serious about defeating terrorism, then it needs to be a, a, a full, unified, solidarity approach. Russia, the United States. Turkey, Syria, all of their allies. If ISIS is truly the enemy of the world that needs to be snuffed out and wiped out, then those um, U.S. has to come together mm. with Russia and Syria. Mm. You can't have separate agendas. You know, that, you know that Boris Johnson once wrote exactly that in a column in the Daily Telegraph? <laughs> but by the time he became foreign minister and then prime minister, he'd completely forgotten he'd ever written, uh, written it. Here's Sam back in uh, New York. Sam, go ahead. Uh, I hope the signal is a lot better now, George. A little bit better. Go ahead. Uh, well, just to the point of Patrick, the point about uh, the U.S. being aware of ISIS. Yeah. Uh, we have on audio John Kerry who said, we watched ISIS grow in the hopes it would weaken the steering government. So it wasn't like we didn't use ISIS to our own advantage because it played a, a role. I mean, we sure. never learned from the 70s when we armed the Mujahideen. Sure. But, uh, I mean, so just going to this point, uh, let's rewind the clock to 2015, when Russia steps in to help the Syrian government defeat ISIS, then the U.S. starts using the SDF, the Kurds, because well, we, we tried, the CIA tried to find moderate rebels, but even they were like, yeah, we're, we're drawing a blank here, because most of them are linked with uh, al-Qaeda groups. And you can see the map from 2015 to 2016, it was an actual race, if you started from the middle of Syria, going to the Iraqi side of the border, of who's going to defeat ISIS uh, quicker and make it to the border. Now, why is that important? It's because the U.S. didn't want the Syrian government to make it to the, uh, to the Iraqi border because they don't want that, as Patrick uh, said, that quote-unquote uh, Shiite crescent road. They wanted to block off the roads that would, you know, from Iran, Syria, uh, Iran, Iraq, Syria, etc. So while they were doing that on the north with the Kurds, the Kurds were also themselves... Um, more or less ethnically pushing out people who live there who are predominantly Arab or Druze or whatever have you. I'm sorry to say that's true. That's what happened. Sorry yeah, to burst so, the bubble of all the YPG fans out there, but that's exactly what happened. They were ethnically exactly, cleansing not, Arabs from that area. Correct. And then what happened, if you look at a map right now, you would see that the, uh, the, the SDF, predominantly Kurds, they control one-fourth of Syria. They don't even make up a fourth of the population. That's an absurd notion. Mm. And it was mainly because the U.S. was using them to, A, block a road, and, B, to, to hold the oil and the, uh, the wheat as well. There's fertile uh, ground in Derazor that they, they're holding, you know, as leverage. Now, it, moving forward to 2016, Patrick, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, there, were, uh, there was the force of the YPG in Afrin that was working with the Syrian government and the Russian government. And uh, they, the right next door was uh, the Turkish incursion of Jarablus. 
Now, what happened was the Kurds, the, the Turks kept telling the, um, the, the Kurds, hey, we're going to come and take Afrin if you don't disarm. And they said repeatedly, the government of Russia said, let us come in. We'll, you know, more or less be the federal government. You could have some local autonomy. And they said, no, 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 because right over past Terabolus mm. were where the Americans were uh, arming the Kurds and the SDF. And they said, no, no, the Americans will come get, uh, protect us. They didn't learn. They, uh, sure enough, they came in. Now, what is uh, dangerous, and this is what Patrick pointed out, and even Robert Fisk pointed out, that these militias that Turkey puts into these areas, they're pretty much, as, as Robert Fisk said, ISIS who just shaved their beard. They have implemented institutionalized uh, you know, Sharia law. And even more terrifying is, you can see this on Turkish state media, is they teach the children in Syria, in the areas they're controlling, they don't teach them Arabic, they teach them in Turkish, and the children are literally like, in, you know, in America we say Pledge of Allegiance. They're told, you know, oh, Erdogan, you're so great, you're so benevolent. And that's a form of, uh, of Turkey wanting to just carve a large portion of Syria so they can annex it later. No. Quite, no, Sam, uh, have... Sam, we're running out of time. Uh, thanks for that erudition. I'm grateful uh, to you for it. I'm glad we got you back. Uh, Sam's on to something, uh, isn't he? Uh, the, the, the Turks don't plan on this being any kind of temporary, uh, you know, kerfuffle. The, they're not there to fight the YPG for six weeks or ten weeks and then withdraw. Uh, they clearly plan to seize this part of Syria. They have to know that Syria cannot accept that, that if Syria does not accept it, uh, Russia will not accept it. President Putin said uh, this very day uh, that the territorial integrity of all of Syria is the absolutely legal, legitimate demand of the Syrian government, and we are the Syrian government's allies. So uh, Russia is clearly signaling that they won't accept this. So what, the, what are the possibilities of actual problems between the Turks, the Syrians, and the Russians on this? Long term, there's, there's already going to be problems between uh, Damascus and Turkey for many, many years to come as a result of what's, what's unfolded and what's unfolding now. And Turkey is going so far as to transform the educational institutions in those areas. Edge of allegiance. They're running power lines into Jarbalus. Cell phone mm -hmm. coverage is from Turkish providers. They're providing power, electricity, and so forth. Uh, and, so, and the police as well uh, have Turkish, in, in, it's in Jarbalus with the Turkish flag with Erdogan's picture in the police station. So there's, there's clearly, they're looking at them as sort of benefactors, sponsors. Turkey is our benefactor. So it's, it's again, it's separating these people from Damascus. And the end game is to make Syria smaller, make it weaker, compromise. And Bodar, yeah, I mean, to steal their oil. And, and not only that, the, the biggest fear of the United States and its allies, Britain as well, would be for Syria to Damascus and Baghdad to have good relations mm. and to jointly have management of their own shared border, mm. because that would end any possibility. If you have the Hashid, you have uh, the Iraqi army working with the Syrian Arab army mm. uh, in a joint collective security pact with Iran, with Lebanon. You see what was achieved between Lebanon and Syria. They flushed ISIS out of the Lebanese border areas. Mm by working together mm. with Hezbollah. The West looks at that, and this is their biggest fear, that there's going to be cooperation between these states that they've worked so hard to divide. It breaks my heart to uh, remind you um, that 
the Ba'ath Party, which ruled in both Syria and Iraq, could have united their two countries half a century ago, but couldn't even unite their own party, never mind their two countries. Patrick Henningsen, 21st Century War, thanks very much for joining us on the mother of all talk shows.